Good morning, Chris. Uh, good afternoon, Teach. How are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling okay. You know, as good as one can be in our times. It's uh, yeah, it's really something out there, man. I don't really, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't. I was talking earlier with with someone. I was like, I don't. I know it can get worse, but I don't know what that looks like. Um, I mean. I guess I know what it looks like. <laughs> what, what, what is that, Jason? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, like the an escalating situation, you know, the president tweeting, you know, looter, looting equals spraying of bullets type of thing, you know, martial law type of scenarios. You know, no, the, I mean, the, 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 the police shit. being taken over and then the military having to step in. Uh, yes. I mean, that's, that, that is a point by point plan. Um, <laughs> but all of that stuff sounds so just not really fathomable, but I, I know it's all possible. I mean, when I saw the guy get the, the, when they arrested that CNN reporter this morning, that was pretty mm-hmm. mind blowing to me. Um, but I also think that the, the sad reality is this stuff isn't necessarily shocking anymore. You know, it is no, yeah. I mean, we are, we are desensitized to it. You know, all of us, unfortunately, which is, you know, it's important to to stay sensitized by it without it, you know, just ruining your 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 entire life. Um, but, you know, life is very hard for a lot of people. And if we can't do anything about it directly, then we have to at least better ourselves and, and the people around us however we can to make the next generation a little less terrible. Uh, agreed. I mean, I think I, I personally struggle with talking about stuff like this because I feel like my voice in this situation is not really relevant as an upper middle class white man who's never struggled in his life. Uh, it doesn't really, I don't really know what I can offer to the conversation. You know, I don't, I don't feel well equipped, I guess, let's mm-hmm. say. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's something, you know, that's something that people like us have been able to say forever. And we ha- we kind of have to start looking at a new way of looking at that, you know. You know, like even just our our Twitter mentions a little bit. You know, there's sort of the two sides of of the conversation in one. Yeah. In one, you know, like one one person is tweeting. You know, are you you guys are not. We 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 recorded a episode that we put up yesterday, and somebody said nothing about Minneapolis. Come on, guys. And then somebody else said. You know, what do these coastal tattooed bros have to add to the conversation? You know, everything doesn't need to be a seething race war programming content. And those are, that's sort of like the two different ways that you can look at anybody who is creating content or media of like, first of all, how could you talk about anything or release anything or promote anything in a time when, you know, mi- millions of people's of lives are being fucked up? And then also how, you know, how does somebody like me or you or many other people in a privileged situation, you know, add, add to the positive change? And, uh, and that's, and, it's, it's hard. Well, we talked about it a little bit earlier and I think this, this is somewhat true. It's like, well, people listen to the show um, and people, uh, uh, you know, no matter what they come here for, they're coming here. You know what I mean? So it's like, mm-hmm. uh, 
I think that that does give us an interesting position of a captive audience. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, while we have them, uh, it, it, <laughs> I guess it's, it's, it can't always be, you know, uh, jokes and fun. Life is uh, uh, life. I mean, you know, life contains multitudes, right? So it's like, um, I think now um, is just a really volatile time. Um, and it's amazing to think that, you know, a week ago we were worried about, you know, going to a restaurant or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes, life comes at you fast. You know, it really happened that it really happened that quickly that, you know, there we're on the verge of a full on race war and the police are out of control and the president's out of control. And the media is being, you know, censored. Um, so all, all of that stuff is, it's, it's a lot to take in a lot to process, but the, the bottom line of all of it, which makes it very easy is that it's all fucked up. It's all wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not, there's no, um, wavering on or trying to understand how to speak about it versus trying to understand how to feel about it are two very different things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the way that one person feels about it is, is a lot different than the way that they would publicly speak about it. Usually you, you, you know, you kind of have to pick a side or you're going to be, you know, with, with the people against it, or you're going to be the silent people who are for it. You know, there are many people who are into all of this stuff. They do want, you know, racism and, and those people are, are very bad and wrong. And, and the way, you know, people are afraid to, to speak their opinions if they feel like they have powerful opinions because it will turn some people off and influential, influential people are afraid of losing their influence or losing their fan base or their following if they say something wrong so it's easier to just say nothing at all, which, which is a problem, and that's something that's sort of been ingrained in a lot of people's minds. You know, I'm I'm guilty of that, and I'm sure you are as well. Of oh, hundred percent. Well, it's also I think that you know, um, it's uh, yeah, it, that's exactly what it well, is. Well, I, I think no. I, you know, you could trace pretty much every problem back to just fear in general, and you know, I. If if we have not if we've chosen to not really speak politically about this because we wanted to have you know the intention of our podcast and almost all the stuff we do is is a little more satirical lighthearted comedic escapism you know we created this podcast as as a way to you know sort of protest against the the mania created around COVID and you know hey guys you know we, life is not all about reading terror porn in the news and death and destruction, we still need to have a little bit of, you know, a way to release some steam and have a laugh, whether or not it's at somebody's expense. But, you know, it's fear in saying the wrong thing and pissing people off and getting canceled and losing everything that you've worked forward, worked for, or fear, you know, for people like me, it's just, you know, I'm uneducated and I see a lot of people who are educated about this matter and, and research it constantly and have really insightful opinions on everything and powerful words. And I don't think I am an authority to speak on that. Therefore, I fear speaking about it at all because I, I would be at risk of sounding like an idiot. And I have a great fear of sounding like an idiot. Um, I sound like an idiot all the time. So I don't, <laughs> that, unfortunately, that's not my excuse. Um, I think it's more, yeah, I just think it's, it's, uh, 
no matter what the fear is or if it's if it's like a, a um, lack of confidence or whatever it may be, I mean, the bottom line is there's right and wrong, you know, and and something like this is is unjust and wrong. Um, and, and, you know, um, <clears throat> there's no other way to look at it, really. You know, like it's, mm-hmm. it's not really it is nuanced, but it's also not like racism is fucked up. You can't kill somebody um, because of the color of their skin. You can't, uh, you know, um, it's, it's just a long it, it's what America is built on, unfortunately. Um, and it, 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 it flares up, obviously, um, for people like us uh, when it's big stories like this. And we see the news because, you know, this is not our everyday lives because we're white. You know, that's mm-hmm. the bottom line. Um, I, and it's it's not that it's not that um, anyone's trying to ignore anything per se, um, but our our reality and and a, and a, a black a black man's reality are two very different things, mm-hmm. um, and that is I think the thing that needs to be understood most is that, is that uh, I can't begin to relate, uh, but I can at least uh, you know um, uh, support what's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and we're you know I, I I feel like you know people people like us people of our age and and upbringing and demographic we're we we sort of have to kind of shed some old skin uh, in order to move on and and progress and there is not really you know much that you and I can do I mean like I guess the way that I look at it is. You know, my my way of trying to make the world around me a little bit more equal is to just treat everybody equally and, and have it be, you know, painfully normalized to the point where it's not, you know, nobody gets special treatment. Everyone is treated the same. It doesn't matter if you are privileged or underprivileged or minority or not or, you know, whatever your, whatever you identify as. I think that, you know, I've always felt that talking that way in a way that doesn't hurt anyone's feelings or offend anyone is you know uh, what i can do myself to try and make the world around me a better place and i think everyone everyone needs to kind of figure out what that is and and to me that that is like making the sacrifice of like maybe offending somebody or maybe hurting someone's feelings but i know that deep down there's somebody out there who is glad that a little bit of normalizing is happening and people are being treated equally. And, you know, at that way, you know, at, eventually it could lead to, you know, true equality one day, however many decades that's going to take. I mean, uh, agreed, agreed. And I, I mean, I think that the, you know, <clears throat> we are a very staunch fuck 12 podcast. Um, <laughs> but I mean, this shit, I mean, the, the, one of the craziest things that I've seen, I mean, beyond, you know, the murder of uh of floyd uh is is that you know the the people that are uh, you know upset about a fucking target burning you know what i mean it, mm-hmm. guys it's like we can't like putting the value of of, of corporations this is from somebody who patronizes corporations every day i'm mm-hmm. not i'm not but we can never <laughs> we can never value a corporation more than a human life that is that is unfortunately feels very American and very fucked up. And that has really, um, that, I, I mean, among obviously many, many things, that is something that's, that's been pretty eye opening. Um, not that I didn't realize it before, but again, it's, it's put into your face and you're forced to reckon with it. And 
I think there's a lot of people in this country that feel that way, that, that like a broken window at Target is more offensive to them than a, a dead man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, I mean, that, that is troubling. Uh, and I don't even know where that stems from, but, but I, you know, it's, it's, it's really something to think about. It stems from people thinking that other types of people are, are lesser than. And yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And that's right. just, you know, I, I think as we move forward, you know, we, it seems like our world is a very terrible fucked up place right now because it is, but I think that we have improved, you know, over the whatever hundreds of years and it's just a slow process that is seemingly getting sped up more and more now that we have, you know, ways and tools to, to hold the police more accountable um, and, you know, our, our legal system has to do the same and make sure that, you know, if, a, if people are murdering people, police or not, that those people are punished accordingly and they have real consequences. So people who want to do that in the future will think twice and, and not do it. You know, real crimes need real punishments and they haven't really had any punishments. No, I mean, for sure. I mean, I think that you've seen that. I mean, even these, you know, they, you know, just before we started this podcast, they arrested the, the cop. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you know, it took three days, you know, and it's like, I, I do think that the pressure um, that that people have, I, I do think that actually made a difference. You know what I mean? Like lighting a fucking police station on fire and fucking up a target uh, is going to make them take notice, you know, and, and I, I, I'm not saying... Of course, it should have happened faster. Of course, it, you know, but I do think that stuff worked in some regard. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, you know, that's just, uh, it, it's almost, it's unfortunate, but it's almost positive that at least something worked, um, even though it took too much time and it's tragedy, at least like, you know, going, going extreme actually gets results, which I think is, is something that is a lesson to be learned. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. Exactly. Um, okay. Well, uh, I'm glad we glad we had a chance to talk about that. I think it is important, and um, you know, uh, I'm sure I've donated. Won't, my, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I've donated. I've donated some money. I'm sure you've donated some money. You know, all you guys. You, you're on Twitter. You're on Instagram. You know where to go. Um, I think those causes are important. Um, you don't need any more sneakers. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I my vi- my vitamins could wait a couple days. You know what I'm saying? There's there's bigger fish to fry. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, to, on today's show, uh, special edition, uh, uh, just a bonus episode. Would you call it a bonus episode? I would, I would call it a bonus episode. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we, we strike when the iron is hot and we had the opportunity to get a, uh, a member of hardcore, hardcore royalty and, uh, <laughs> uh, it's true. great uh, musician. Uh, Wesley Isold, um, you might be familiar with him from, uh, American Nightmare, um, which later changed their name to Give Up the Ghost, uh, and then Some Girls, and now Cold Cave. Um, he also has Heartworm Press, uh, where he publishes books. Um, he writes poetry. He's, he, he is. He's a, he's a hardcore legend and a really interesting guy who's had a really interesting kind of career trajectory and just life in general. Um, so uh, we're going to catch up with him today. Perhaps you'll have some poetic insights on the world today. I'm, I'm sure he will. I'm going to give him a call. All righty. All right, let it. How's it going? How you, good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm in Los Angeles. Where Where are you two at? I'm actually in Montreal. I live in New York, but my girlfriend lives here, so I've been quarantined for a couple months. And Jason is actually in LA. Yeah, baby. Hey, Jason. 
Hey, hi from Glendale, the real LA. <laughs> what, what neighborhood do you live in? Uh, I live in Beachwood Canyon. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I, didn't, I didn't know what the answer would be, but that's the, maybe the best answer, I think. I don't, I'm, not, I'm real anti-downtown, so I was hoping you were going to say that. Yeah, I don't, I don't really care too much for it either. I've never, I've never understood the appeal. I just feel like if you want that, you can live in New York. I think people like don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I that's mean, why that's why you came on the show today, baby. We, uh, yeah, we do need to spread the word about how downtown just, LA smells like human urine. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I don't understand the appeal either. I think people didn't know there were other options, and. <laughs> They like advertisements and just, you know, it looked nice and it was a, a little, loft. It was a little bit cheaper than the loft they couldn't have in New York, so they just moved in. Where now? I mean, you're you. It's very well known that you've lived like truly all over the place. Um, but where did you live before LA? I was in New York. Oh, you were okay. So yeah. was it just time to go because you were going to start a family and shit, or was it just like no, it, no, no? That came after I moved here. Um, I. I'm a habitual mover. So I had sort of just, I was in New York for three or four years. I was in Philly before that. And everywhere was just sort of a couple years. And then I was on tour all the time. I was in New York and I was just like being bad there and just wanted to play. When you say being bad, elaborate on that, please. Like you were eating too much pizza or you were hurting yourself and your friends and family. Um, I be cool if you just said yes. <laughs> it's a little of both. <laughs> um, I would go from you know just benders to uh, weeks of sobriety to weeks of benders to mm. you know with just too much time and uh, what what is your bend of choice if you don't mind me asking? Well, you know. I don't have a bend of choice right now. I'm, I'm much more mellow, but um, I was up for any any bend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're talking to two guys yeah. who at that at one point in their life were also up for any bends. Actually, yeah, so, yeah, that's a very it, cool. Like, what 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 did you struggle with in the past? And you're like, I don't know. What do you got? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had, I had I had some eras of that. I think it was important to stay flexible for a while you know mm, i like that you, you uh, don't want to you don't want to rule anything out that would be unnecessary and pretentious so yeah exactly exactly habitual uh, um fun haver with substances habitual mover what else are we habitualizing my friend uh i, I was a habitual substance mover for a while also <laughs> oh, hey hey wow wow damn you were addicted <laughs> to the game <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, what else is habitual? <laughs> uh, no, these days I I try I try to um, keep that uh, you know energy into more positive things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to I, I read a lot and I exercise a lot, and I'm I've just never really been able to sit still, and so um, mm-hmm. you know. That's, that's sort of a, my, that's sort of my thing. I mean, that makes sense why you'd be drawn to nonstop touring, where for a time I'm sure there was not a lot of money coming in from that. You know what I mean? So, uh, 
But, you know, I wanted to talk to you about exercise because I've actually seen you at Barry's Boot Camp in L.A. before. Oh, um, cool. And I'm, I'm a big Barry's head. It's, it's well, we talk about it a lot on this podcast and exercise in particular. Um, Jason can jump rope for an hour straight, which is his claim to fame. Um, but I didn't know. What, you what created you, that claim, not me. I mean, it's pretty impressive, dude. Like, I couldn't do that. I did 115 what, yesterday. Keep going. Uh, well, it's not important. What are you doing in in the quarantine to stay fit? Do you have gear at home and shit, or are you just running? I'm I'm home. I I go for a lot of walks, and then um, you know, I I have a friend who owns a gym in the area, and it's closed, but I can go there occasionally and like use a treadmill, you know. Wow, VIP shit. Something like that, yeah. So I <laughs> I I've. I was there this morning. I was there yesterday morning. So the rich stay richer. Damn, it's really, it's really, this is class warfare now. Um, <laughs> I've, well, I've, I've fallen out of shape, so I'm just trying to find my way back. Did so. you take some, so during, when core hit, did you take some time off? I did. I was just, um, I had a, a bizarre version of, I guess it was panic, but it was more just like, okay, tours are canceled, festivals canceled, everything's in the air. I need, I'm, I have like, you know, these gaps in between tours where I'm able to like mentally plan and facilitate my downtime. So without that, I had to just like start moving and doing stuff. So my partner owns a bookstore here in Hollywood and I just sort of like helped her sell books that we like to people who were interested and needed books to read at home during this whole thing. So I've, I've been doing that. I, I, I didn't spend one day at home during the quarantine. I, I just couldn't do it. So like I would go to the closed bookstore or the closed gym and just kill hours working really, you know, that sounds honestly pretty ideal. I, I think that everybody hates like their home right now. I, I've like never wanted to see four walls less. <laughs> I can imagine being in, in New York right now. You know, that's I'm, I'm, I'm glad I left. Like I'm yeah. glad I'm in Montreal, but I'm, I'm going back this week to reconnect with America. Um, so <laughs> It's good, good time. Yeah. Great time. I mean, right. I figured, I figured why not wait, wait, wait till it's absolutely God. diabolical before I, before I head back. But I mean, I think that like Canada in general is pretty mellow. So I felt like I was pretty blessed to have the, the opportunity. Um, absolutely. But you, I don't, you know, living in Philadelphia seems crazy to me. I really want to unpack that. Uh, I, I just don't, did you just have friends there or did you really like it? Well, I don't really have like real friends anywhere i feel like so <laughs> i damn we could do a whole podcast about that buddy <laughs> well what happened was i was i ended up moving from boston to san diego and decided i wanted to go back to school and live near family who were based in dc at the time so for some reason i got i I was like, you know, in bands, didn't, wasn't making any money, but didn't care either. I was offered a room in Richmond, Virginia. So I, I went there and lived with some acquaintances for, it was like a couple hundred bucks for a room and I was going to take some classes. And then the week I got there, I went to visit my parents and they told me they were divorcing that week. So, you know, my whole idea Shit. of going back to the East Coast to be near family was just like foiled immediately. So um, I didn't need... I didn't want to be in school. I didn't like it. I tried it for a couple of weeks and then was offered a cheap place in Philadelphia. 
And at the time, Philadelphia was appealing because it was sort of the best East Coast city where you didn't have to try very hard. <laughs> that's a that's an incredible review of Philadelphia, just <laughs> right. off top, bro. That's like you could be really drunk s- the whole time and still right. like maintain. It's like a solid like two point five stars. You don't have to try very hard. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> I would rather live there than Boston. Yeah the the fact that Boston, I, I mean, I guess Boston was a big part of of, I mean, my life like tangentially because of hardcore you know what i mean and living in growing up in atlanta like all the boston bands were so big in atlanta and toured so much and it was considered this like hotbed but as an adult i had to go to boston a lot for work and i was like i can't believe i ever thought this place was cool yeah it was a strange strange fluke and then it's bizarre when you return there and trying to imagine how you could have ever had a relationship with it i mean there are beautiful parts of the city architecturally um, particularly the older parts, but it just doesn't there's a really lot of guys who want to beat you up always. Yeah, yeah. that's really that's really right. what it's known for. That's like literally what I think of is 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 that I uh, I don't I, I don't I can't imagine living there as a young person. But I guess there is such a university culture that there are a lot of young people around. There are, but like you know, as you said, it's university based. So they come and go and the, the guys that want to beat you up are always there. But when I live there, I was, <laughs> yeah, I not was like you Harvard boys. <laughs> when I lived there, I was, I was, I was sort of into that. I, I was up for that. So you mean you were, a, you were a brawler. I, I, I was fine with it. Yeah. Like, um, mm-hmm. I had a lot of, so you were one of the rare, um, hardcore straight edge people who like to fight. Very interesting. <laughs> I've well, never I, met I, one before. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, it, well, we all also, Chris and I both sort of grew up you know, like in the hardcore straight edge world. And we also had friends probably of a similar vibe who wanted nothing. You know, like I grew up in Orange County where it was a lot of racist skinhead bros who wanted to sure, beat yeah. us up all the time. And we were yeah. all like, happy and excited about that because we wanted to beat them up as well. Yeah. You kind of know where to place yourself so that someone else will start something with you and then you can just handle it. And mm-hmm. I, I'm a little, I'm feeling a little left out. Atlanta was pretty nonviolent. I have to say you guys oh, were too sorry. busy making your necklaces to really put in some work. That's true. <laughs> that's, that's, that, that's dead ass true. But also <laughs> I, I just, it's interesting. It's interesting that some pockets were so violent and so known for violence, but Boston, particularly, and of course, it makes sense because it's violent anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it was it was fine. Not, I mean, I think I am a bit immune to uh, how I might presently feel if these things were happening to me now. Like, I lived in an apartment where my roommate was shot in the face while I was home. Um, Wait, what? Oh shit! In Boston. In Boston, my first apartment there, yeah. Was this, how old are you at this point? Um, probably 21. Was this like just some, was this pointed violence or was this like random shit? No, it was, it was, it was uh, strategic actually. Um, my roommate sold drugs and we were living in a, you know, entry level gentrified neighborhood and they wanted the money and drugs. So they kind of, he was a little green with it and they talked him into doing some, some deal where he invited them into our home and then they 
took him to he took them to the third floor where his room was and I was on the second floor and they taped him up. We heard a pop, saw the two dudes run by, and then my roommate started walking down the staircase with a towel on his face and just blood spraying everywhere and we lived like two blocks from the hospital, so he just started walking to the hospital and we gave him a ride and uh, it went in it went into his cheek and out the back of his neck and he survived. Uh, that's an that's an insane story. So that was like my first apartment, you know, in Boston, and it didn't really bother me that much. We stayed there. We were, <laughs> we were evicted shortly after for good reason that I think you can't do that in the least. Yeah, that, that, that seems that seems reasonable from from the landlord. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that was the house that you know where when I started American Nightmare, that's where we lived, and the label we were on was our roommate there, and there was like. It was, a, it was a strange time, and like, have you? Do you guys, are you familiar with like? Everyone keeps trying to like glorify um, the selling of these T-shirts to say Yan- Yankees suck on it. You know, it's interesting. I I had so a bunch of my uh, well, a few of my friends um, from Atlanta moved to Boston during this time, and they uh, okay. did that. Like they were, it's the Bridge Nine shit, right? Like they were all yeah. So that yeah, that was all yeah. that was all based out of. Our apartment, really. Can you so, explain? You know, I mean, the, the listeners might not know, but why don't you explain it? Because this is a this is a pretty great story. Well, essentially, essentially, some people needed money, and they thought of an idea <laughs> to make some, which which revolved around selling uh, bootlegged merchandise that read "Yankees suck" on it via t-shirts, <laughs> stickers, and when and then and you know they would hire our circle of friends to go peddle the stuff as. Red Sox games were letting out in the Fenway area. And um, that was sort of like, uh, that was, that was violent and illegal. And it was violent because you were getting in fights with Yankees fans. It wasn't that it was more uh, the aforementioned Bostonians that (laughs) just uh, drunk wanted stuff for free and were drunk. Right. Uh, Okay. but this was a this was a very profitable enterprise. It was it was very profitable. Yeah. And cash only. Cash only. So you guys just made some pretty good money making bootleg Yankees suck shirts in Boston. Yeah, I and mean it's more did you use the, what did you use there. the money for? <laughs> Paid rent at the time. <laughs> okay. Room and board. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean it was, that just, was no one had a job, so it was just like I think there were scams going on before and after that. And that was just the more lucrative one, you know, mm-hmm. that seems, I mean, I, there's nothing, the, the profit margin on a, on a one color screen print is very high. Yeah, totally. If um, you're, if you're willing to risk your life for it, you know, then it's, you're, it's <laughs> going to pay off. Well, there was like, it, it was sort of like everyone would meet on the bridge going from Kimmore square to the park and, you know, it was just everyone who was sort of in a band at that time. And so much so that it attracted fans eventually to just come look at everyone who was trying to make the rent, you know? Well, that's really crazy, actually. You, know. you had fans of watching you sell t-shirts. Yeah, and fight and et cetera. And it was, it was bizarre. But um, anyway, but boss- so I, I, think, I think between that and a roommate mm-hmm. selling drugs... It was a targeted house. Yeah, they knew there was cash on hand. 
So yeah, does it, it does it feel good not to not to have to scam anymore? Oh yeah, I mean it's that's been a long time since I've had the scam, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still this podcast is actually a scam, so that's why that's why we were asking. What podcast? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, life life is a scam, so that's very it. true. Yeah. Well, but, but we've also talked about on this podcast uh, with with Darcy Wilder, who's a writer. Um, she had been on the Internet Archive and um, was looking at MakeoutClub.com. And she was, she's younger than us. Um, but I know that was also Boston based, correct? Yeah, that was um, done by my friend Gibby, who now does Deus Records. Oh, is that who does that? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay, okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, so that, do you think, I, I feel like there needs to be a, a bigger oral history of that because I think it was really a precursor to a lot of things that have come to, to prominence. Yeah, it was. It was a, you know, it's a billion, billion dollar idea that probably made nothing. I think they know, should so do a, another social network style film about Makeout Club. That's exactly right. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino's new favorite movie is the Makeout Club. Look, <laughs> Makeout Trent Reznor is already down. <laughs> I uh, just Boston was just so fertile at that time. It's just interesting how cities how that pops up like that. Yeah, I try to I try to imagine that it wasn't. Because I, just because it had, in my outsider opinion now, it, it doesn't seem like it, that has happened again there. So um, I don't know why that happened then. I know, I know the time for us, you know, New York was boring, and, but we liked going to Philly, D.C. sometimes. But like, they just had better shows, better like DJ nights. And New York seemed like sort of outdated for a few years. And then... And then just demolish everything again, you know. Well, you know, we're a resilient city. We try to bounce back. But I think you're right. I, think, <laughs> I mean, New York goes in waves. That's just how it is. That's how, like, any, I think, any major metropolitan, metropolitan area, that's what happens. The people just cycle in and out. Yeah. So, Wes, what do you think, um, you know, now that you've been in, you know, selling books and not touring or doing anything musically, what do you think is going to be changing? How do you think your life is going to go back to normal, what what things do you want to change about your life now that you've been quarantining? Oh, like, in a weird way, I've been sort of unfazed by the quarantine in a strange way. I get more frustrated with, um, I don't know, like, we, we were like, I get more frustrated for my partner Amy being a small business owner. You know, every day we were tuning into, like, mayor giving updates and just looking for just some actual facts and direction information. And it was just so, it was just, it was just always a drivel. And I, I found that frustrating because I've made all these steps in life to not have to partake mm -hmm. in bureaucracy really. And so having to kind of pay attention to that aspect of being mm -hmm. a reasonable adult has been extremely frustrating. For me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You, you, know. you did a very good job designing your life to never have to worry about any of that shit. And, and, and now you, now that you've been hit by Cupid's arrow, you're, you're forced to deal with it. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's temporary and I've, I've never, I'm not someone who plans ahead and never really have. I just have always maintained that things are uncertain and, pretty fucked up anyway so uh to me it's just of course this is happening um 
watching the news the past few days. Of course, this is happening. It's I've always just taken it like that. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't have. I grew up living on a lot of military bases and weird situations where I just had nothing in common with anyone, and always thought things were pretty screwed up. So. Um, that's not really new to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, 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 I can relate to a lot of those feelings growing up. I as symp- well. I'd sympathize with people who have fallen ill, people who are having financial problems. I, obviously I sympathize with people's frustration and anger. Um, I just, I have a hard time sympathizing with people's irrational, uh, steps into, whatever the future is going to be. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, do you think that as, as far as, as music goes, did you guys have like a lot of plans? Did, did you change and moved or were you off cycle? We had a tour we were going to do in June. We had a couple of festivals that were um, postponed and then canceled. We are, you know, we have tentative dates for next year. I hope it happens. And if it doesn't, it's fine. Um, I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. it's just always been certain, you know, in a way, like we cold came the band, like bowed out of sort of playing any uh, traditional music industry sort of thing years ago. So in that way, we're not on record cycles anyway. Like we're touring for years without new music even. It just didn't, for some reason, it didn't seem to matter to us nor our audience. So in that respect, it's not really that big of a deal. You know, I think people mm-hmm. who are obligated to a label and to other people's money, you know, that's where it gets trickier because they have these records that are supposed to come out or do come out and there's no way to promote them. There's no way for them to have income on them. I put out my own records. I sell my own merch. I do my own mail order and it hasn't stopped. So it's like, I think uh, making, making those steps nine, 10 years ago to be self-sufficient has allowed us to truly be self-sufficient now. I did, I actually didn't I actually didn't fully realize that. That's really impressive. I mean, was that but that was a conscious decision for this exact reason? Not for this reason, and it wasn't initially a conscious decision on my part. It was just the situation I found myself in and I, I did a I did like a record and a half on a on a label and then that was up and I talked to other labels and it just like in the meantime I had put out a single or two of my own, but like the money I had made off of those were, were more than people were offering for an advance for an album. Yeah, like, yeah. Fuck this, you know? I think just doing doing punk and hardcore bands before that, where it was always a hustle anyway, and I, I had seen, like, how things sort of were run poorly, but it just made me realize I could do this myself and not have to do any of this. Like, you know, I, I don't really care if our records are reviewed or, like, if there's a billboard or something on Suntech, just the climate of music has become so, so temporary anyway, that it just all seemed pretty futile to me, you know? No, I mean, the, the, the pace of everything is truly breakneck. I, I agree with you. And the, the, um, it's, if you don't have to be in the game, why would you, you know, it also, if the, I think that it also creates a different relationship with the fan, with the audience. Um, uh, probably one that's a little more long lasting. Yeah. And, and yeah. And, you know, in this, in this, with that said, you know, a lot of people who listen to my band now used to listen to my old band and that wasn't the case 
at first when I started this band, but over the past, you know, five or so years, those people have come around to it. And um, it's just been really rewarding in a very, very genuine way that just to have someone hearing what you're making and listening to and relating to it and, and telling you that they're relating to it after 20 years is a, you know, that that's enough to keep going on to not, uh, it's, it's, it's rewarding in itself to not have to subscribe to any other accolades that musicians are typically striving for, you know? No, for sure. I mean, I think that's something that, that, you know, hardcore and punk totally can teach you. You know, I think those, those ethics when applied at a higher level can still work pretty well. And those ethics, those ethics make me like psychotic still too, because <laughs> when it, it's like weird playing, you know, a different genre, if you will, of music and, and being around people who don't have those roots and just watching the way they, uh, like treat each other really is, is, yeah. is alarming to, to well, someone who grew up, you know, in a scene, if you will. I mean, I think there's also just shit that we were, at least for me and, and maybe for you guys, but just we were exposed to some shit at a pretty young age that I don't know if I would have been exposed to otherwise, like growing up in the South, particularly, you know, um, yeah. uh, not only politically, but just like ways of thinking that just, w I don't know how I would have found them otherwise. Um, and I think that stuff sticks with you, especially if, if you're in a, you know, for your yeah, case. How, in, how in, else in, would in, you industry. have become a vegan at? 14 or 15 yeah exactly exactly I mean, vegan's the craziest one to watch the rise absolutely it's absolutely. insane it's insane like it i can't I, I just remember my parents just thinking i was a total psycho and now yeah. it's it's a house it's truly a house it was a word that people couldn't pronounce at a point oh yeah I, I remember uh people betting me money in school about how i was pronouncing the word wrong because it, because it wasn't in the dictionary at the time I couldn't prove to them that this guy yelling the word on an album was the correct way. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, trust me. Earth Crisis knows, man. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> Atlanta, Atlanta was strangely so so vegan friendly, more than any other city that I can remember, um, besides maybe Philadelphia. Growing up, it, every time I went to Atlanta, everyone. Yeah, it was a big part of it was a big part of the scene in Atlanta for sure, and I think that. I mean, Atlanta, I've learned as I've, as I've, you know, I've lived in New York for 11 years, but I grew up there. So I've learned two things. It, it was very vegan when, when in the hardcore scene and it's, there people do a lot of Coke. Um, I also <laughs> learned later in life. Yeah. So I mean, which both kind of go together in a weird way, maybe the same person. Um, uh, how do, how things? do those things go together no, by the way? I can, re I can relate to that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think. What was yeah. We all what can was... relate to that on this podcast, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> what was the name of that Chinese restaurant that everyone would go to after shows? It was open late night. They sort of had the family style. Har table. Harmony. 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 Okay. But my okay. parents live 15 minutes from there. I still go there every time I go home. Yeah. The place is great. It's still there. But those, those little places, I mean, you know, that's what you learn touring for sure. There's that. There's one of those, at least in most major cities at the time, there's one of those. I think now it's, it's a different landscape. Are you vegan now? Yeah. Okay, so you so you guys obviously know where all the spots are. Yeah, and even when I wasn't vegan, you know, when I was just like vegetarian a long time ago, I mean, those were like the spots you'd go to all the time. You know, what is your favorite in LA? I want to hear. Jason's a big food guy, so I want to hear. I want to hear what you think. I mean, I don't know. You know, it just depends. Like, I I really like I like the German restaurant Hinterhof. 
have you have you been there? Um, that that's in Highland Park. Yeah, I, I've I've uh, I've driven past it, but I have not been inside. It's cool. I like it just because it's different. Um, mm-hmm. Our friend owns a restaurant in Echo Park called Masa, which is not a vegan restaurant, but they have a vegan menu that is exceptional. Um, mm, that's the deep dish pizza place. Yeah, they have a vegan deep dish. It's pretty crazy. See, I have a tough time with vegan cheese. This is a different vegan cheese. <laughs> this, this motherfucker is innovating. <laughs> when you say tough time, do you mean with the flavor or, or the way it affects your body or both? Everything about it. I just don't. I just don't. It's the same way I feel about Beyond. I don't like it. It doesn't, it, it doesn't agree with my body. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't eat it. <laughs> <laughs> don't eat it, dumb shit. Say, sage advice. Thank you for that. As, as, barbecue, as barbecue season approaches, I needed a voice of reason. I mean, I, I, mean I, I guess it is crazy to kind of go from that where we, we had to learn about veganism from like, you know, brochures that we would get uh, when oh, we would like, go out to places. And now like the, 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 the most trending New York Times article of the week is an article about how everyone needs to go vegan or else the earth is going to die. <laughs> the earth's gonna die anyway uh, i mean but it is it is it's really crazy i mean i just yeah. I, I don't know i don't i don't uh you know when beyonce did the challenge i was really spun out but now i've, I've come to terms with the popularity <laughs> you know i've come i've come to terms with popularity but eating eating vegan in la is probably the, i would say the best place to do it maybe i don't know about globally but it probably is yeah probably is yeah i mean even just ethiopian food alone that shit is hitting Definitely. True. Very, very, very true. Um, and the publishing stuff that you're doing, um, I know that that's like a pretty big part of the the the, the business, almost if we're going to put it that way. But I mean, publishing books is I, I've done it myself, and it's very difficult and 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 time consuming. Um, yeah. But again, is it the same kind of thing with music, where it's just like a, it's easier and better for you to do it, and you like it, and you have a, a more direct connection with the audience? It, exactly. Like. I think in both situations of music and publishing, I'm not opposed to working with someone else, but I don't want to do it unless it's worthwhile. So it's like um, doing, putting out a book of mine or a friend. I know that I can sell a few thousand through my own website, right? Or, or I have to like talk to all these people, go through distri- distribution channels, do things by people to maybe sell a few more, but make it less profitable for the author and for mm-hmm. what for a headache and just as something to keep up with. I, I like to put out the books, have them go to the people who want them and move on to something else as opposed to because it's sort of a one person operation. I can't, I can't dedicate all my time to um, promoting, keeping up with the, the trail that, that, that those things seem to create. Um, so yeah. that's, that's it really. I mean, and, you know, I, I, of course, I think both both mediums should have larger audiences, but they have grown in their own way, and they've done so without having to really sacrifice too much. Well, I mean, I think you've created basically like a creative ecosystem for yourself, is what it feels like to me, where it's like, I can do this from top to bottom and control all of it, which is basically impossible if you involve anyone else, and especially if you involve anyone else's money. Sure. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. It, it's still moving. It's still something I'm into. Nothing, nothing in my life I've ever done 
with with a goal or even consideration of will this will this break even or make money. Um, everything I've done has been really out of a labor of love, <clears throat> so much that the first two bands I did never made any money, and it didn't didn't matter to me. I never even <clears throat> recently I found old um, like tour journals where I had guarantees written down and I, I never even knew <laughs> never even knew like what those were if we got them nothing you know it was just um my, all I ever wanted to do was participate in things that I thought were cool and inspiring to me and uh sort of add to the lineage of things that influenced and saved my life so that's all I've done and I think just being a, a bit overly devoted to it has allowed for some uh for time to to keep continuing yeah what do you like um what do you what do you think the psychology is behind kind of wanting to have control over all all the steps of that process you know down to you know shipping and and everything uh you know really it's just been a matter of and i do have friends that help with mail order occasionally but really it's it's sort of just I don't have the patience to to dedicate to teaching someone how to do it who might be gone in a few months, you know? So it's Mm -hmm. just like, I'd rather just spend my time doing it, doing it right, as opposed to relying on someone else. You a Virgo, Wes? (laughs) I'm an Aquarius. Damn. (laughs) Wait, wait, Wes, how tall are you? I'm 6'2". Hell yeah! Okay, we we like to have only okay. tall guys on the podcast, so I just wanted to make sure you made the made the height requirement. Uh, I was you. saying that because that you know the traits that you were speaking of, I I could relate to a lot of those as well. Um, is but uh, but it's been something that I've been I've been trying to change in my life versus embrace. Um, you know, like the the phrase "faster alone, but further together" is something I try to remind myself of. Um, as yeah. I try to do everything myself. Yeah. I mean, if you find the right partner, then great. You know, I've had plenty of bad partners and I mm-hmm. found, found one good partner in my life. And I just do everything myself because I want all the credit. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, I have yeah, tons yeah. of great people around me <laughs> that I trust. <laughs> it's not, it's not about quality of work. It's fully uh, about credit. It's mm-hmm. only about right. Yeah, yeah, credit is the one thing I don't really care about. You know, it's strangely, it's it's more, it's more just like I don't want to be annoyed. You know, mm. that's and a good outlook on life. And I don't, and I don't want the confrontation of like cluing someone into them not doing something. <laughs> so right, so you're you know? basically you don't right. want to tell somebody that they're whack. I understand. I think we can right. all relate on that. We right. can all relate on that. But I do think the need for credit. Is I talk about that a lot with my work because I just think that that's what happens in a lot of like corporate settings is like it's everybody's like jockeying for credit versus trying to just have the best final product and it and I the bet. product usually the product usually suffers. Yeah, because everyone is afraid of getting fired or let go at any given moment now. Especially now, for sure. Now, for sure. Did mm-hmm. when you, um, you're saying American Nightmare never made money, but when you guys reunited, you've been making money, right? Yeah, I mean it's 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 great, but it's like, um, it's it's certainly not for. I think I can speak for everyone. It, it, it doesn't really play into uh, anyone's drive into doing that. It's not like 
you know, with Cold Cave, it's my projects. Like, that's lucrative. When with American Nightmare, it's being divided five and a half ways. So it's like, it's not really that, it's not that great. Yeah, way. even so if you like, make a, a, have a nice guarantee for a reunion show by the time everyone gets paid and your expenses and travel and blah, blah, blah. You know. Exactly. It's less than I would probably make doing my own thing. It ain't no so, Steve Aoki money. No. <laughs> it, no, no, it's not, Jason. But I just think it's, I have this whole thing where I think it's, it's important for, for bands that were like, you know, very popular um, in their, in their small worlds to be able to reunite and, and make money uh, later down the line. I think it's like a, it's, it's, it's like retroactive almost. Sure. It, it, in a way, yeah, because it, it grows and. Um, you but are know. you finding are you finding new fans? Because I feel like for a different, you know, for us, it was like a, a Revelation Records band or whatever would be the band that somebody would turn you on to, you know. So I think for a younger generation, American Nightmare could be that kind of band. It's like that, you know, like when I go see like a band like Youth of Today or something or some rap band, it's like there's people older than me. There's me and my friends who were too young to see them the first time, and then there's yeah. people way younger than us. So it's like it's similar in a way, except minus ten years. You know. Mm-hmm. Shit, that's it. Oh. Man, time really flies, guys. Oh, uh, <laughs> you know, I also know you're a real Rick head. Um, well yeah. done, well documented leather jacket wearer, um, Chris Rick. Who? Rick, yeah, Rick, Rick Owens, uh, and and Got you know it. I'm I, I work in the I work in the fashion industry, and and Rick Owens is, and, and Michelle are people that are are come up a lot, and and um, yeah. I really love them as people and as like an entity. Um, I think it's really important they exist, but I can't pull off the clothes, you know. So I I have to look at it from afar, but um, I feel like you've really. Is that number one for you? Have you like built your look around that, or was were you leaning all black and then you found Rick? I was leaning more that way, and you know where I mean I don't wear only Rick. I'm sure I'm head to toe in Rick right now, including socks, including socks and underwear. But like, damn! Wow, what a flex. There's there's a certain group of our listeners that are going to really appreciate that quote you just did. You're like, all right, I'm going to go do a podcast. I better put on my Rick underwear. <laughs> I got to put on my whole Rick sweatsuit to sit alone. Damn. Um, I, so so yeah, basically, I mean, all you needed to do was get a little bag and get 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 your Rick money stepped up, and now you can drip yourself out accordingly. Exactly, mm-hmm. kind of, kind of. But like you 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 were ricking in your mind well before you you your closet was lined with with nothing but Owens. It's more like you know I don't I I don't like mixing designers when I when I dress. It doesn't. It feels incoherent. What a, what a purist! And so. It just so happens that Rick fits me and goes together and is the most versatile for different occasions. There, there are other designers I like equally as much, but it's not an everyday sort of thing, you know? You know, I, so I, I work with Tom Brown, which is also a uniform, yeah. you know, vibe, and I cannot wear it separately. I, I, I totally can right. relate. Like, I cannot yeah. wear the jacket or the pants. I have to wear the full suit together with the whole thing on or it doesn't feel right. Yeah, if I, if I start mixing, I have to just, like, go overboard with it you know like weird boots weird hat weird jacket weird shirt leather pants like it's got to be like, fucked up looking like it, it just doesn't work any other way are you a leather are you a leather pants daddy 
<laughs> I, I, I guess by definition, yeah. You know, I just answer the question, wrote, Wesley. Yeah, let's, this is a de- this is a deposition now. Um, <laughs> I I recently wrote about for GQ about wearing leather pants for the first time, and um, I got to say, I really enjoyed the experience. But it, people didn't notice as much as I thought they would. Well, when did this happen? I mean, certainly ten years ago it was different than a few, more recent. You know, yeah, no, this was recent. This was like in the last six months. But I just think that they're they're having a little bit of a moment in a different way as, as far uh-huh. as like proper fashion versus like counterculture uniform. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, and I felt a little, it felt a little stage closey for me, but I was surprised how they kind of blended in like jeans to most people. Yeah. I think, I think the popularity of heavily waxed jeans sort of just, you know, people get, people get a similar effect without having to suffer. And yeah, suffer or admit they're wearing leather pants. You know, it, it's a bold thing to wear leather pants. You have to admit it. You have to own it. And, mm. you know, you have to be prepared to probably fight for them. <laughs> yes. I felt, well, I was in, Ber- I was in Berlin over the summer and a friend, a friend of mine was going to take me to the fetish store to get a custom pair made, which is my dream. Cause I want them to fit just like 501s, you know? Right. Um, but that that I didn't have time, and it's it's been a tough search. But I, I haven't been able to find the pair that could really you know add into my repertoire. Yeah, the I have two pair left, and they're both older. Like I have a pair of Rick leather pants from I think they're from like two thousand eight or nine, but they're like sort of Detroit cut. They they just fit perfect still, and I I have an Emma Cross pair that I like also, but they're a little looser. Um. I've had other pairs that just didn't work. And mm. it takes a look, it's, it's a, it's a lifelong search really is what I, is that what I Well, it's say. also just, about the journey and not the destination. You're never going to find the perfect pair of leather that's, pants. That's really true. That's, that's, that's and it's about real. the fashionista friends that you make along the way. What, that's uh, true. what do you, what do you do with your old clothes? Are you on the reselling market? Do you hoard them all forever? I'm, I, I'm not really in the reselling market. There's a few things I've resold. I find it a bit, tedious and i don't like people's questions um, <laughs> as a shipping as a as a shipping god i figured you would just throw it in the pile and it would be no problem no i find it like i get offended when people want to verify that it's real and i just want to be like as if you know right, like, right. You, this, you, you know you, you're talking to you're you you are above you know you've worked too hard and you've lived long enough yeah. to where you you should not have to deal with those petty <laughs> interactions I mean, a grailed lowball offer. You, the idea of you responding to a grailed lowball offer all Rick Owens is pretty funny to think about, I have to say. Can you train your kid to do this yet? Or, <laughs> yes. This, let's, let's get you a job. Uh, um, well, I throw things out a lot. I give things to friends. Um, I, 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 I really throw things out. I throw a lot of Rick away, you know? Just, damn, damn, Jason, cool. do you hear that? Must be nice, dude. Must be fucking so, nice. So this is, that's your anti-drug. Yeah. You've, <laughs> you've given up on, on, on pills and Coke, and now you get high and probably hard off of watching <laughs> Rick Owens go into the fucking, the recycling bin and see the claw grab the can and dump it into the back of the truck. That's, 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 that's called true. real that, power. That is power. That's a journey. Did, did do you get do you get uh, stage clothes made, or you just buy stuff and wear it? Um, I've done both, um, but it's I don't really have 
I don't really have any stage clothes that are different than what I would, would wear. Normally wear. Yeah. So it's like, um, it just depends. I don't, I, I typically don't have things made for me. I have, but I don't. I'm really into custom made clothes, but I, I haven't really gotten too deep into it. I feel like it's the final frontier. It just mm-hmm. depends. Like I've, I sort of approach designers in the same way that I approach music. I have to like really like this band or this person to want to rep it now. So it's like, I, I don't have anyone in my life that the custom designer that would be up your, up your street. Yeah. It's like, you know, I have to really believe in it to want to invest in it and, and wear it every day. No, that makes sense. Uh, uniform dressing is, it makes life easier, but it's a little hard on the wallet, you know? <laughs> yeah, it is. But I think if you ignore or can, it can just remember all the things you spent money on that don't really matter to you and that are ultimately cheaply made and trash, then it all kind of equals out, I think. But you like, did you like clothes growing up, like in the hardcore days? Were you buying clothes? I did. I, I always bought a lot of like, t-shirts. You know, I didn't know, I didn't, my, my weight fluctuated a lot because I have, like, you know, dealt with serious depression on and off my whole life. So it's like, I could never really dress the way I wanted to until I was a little older and figured it out. You know, yeah. what, uh, at, at what age did you stop or did you, did you have a body transformation, I guess? Um, probably like after, after I quit American Nightmare, mm-hmm. I slimmed down a lot. Um, I was, I was really skinny all through, all through high school. Then I went to college for a couple years and just was, it was hell. And then uh, <laughs> I just was d- depressed and do anything. Just stayed home, didn't exercise, had no movement, just ate. And then uh, that carried over into American Nightmare, where you know I, I had some some version of depression, anxiety. I drank a lot on those tours, and you know the only movement I had really was while I played a set, which maybe lasted for twelve minutes. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, and then back to it, fall asleep in the van. It was really, you know, I moved out of Boston. I moved to California. Started eating better. Became vegetarian. Uh, you know, it is hard like, to. It's hard to be fat in San Diego. I found it's a bad look. Yeah, so there's I, a lot of frisbee to be thrown down there. <laughs> yeah. So you know, all my roommates there were vegan, and it just sort of became easy. And I started walking a lot and riding a bicycle and. Mm-hmm. You know, so you so you would say it was a direct correlation to depression or not being Boston, depressed to Boston. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Boston will make you fat. You're gonna get in a fight or get fat if you live in Boston. <laughs> that's, I think that's a fair. I think it's a fair judgment. I I mean, wearing when clothes look good on you, it makes me much more fun to buy them. I will. Because yeah. yeah. I've I've always liked clothes too, but like. You know, when the Fred Perry's in XL and you're 15, it, it doesn't hit the same. You know what I mean? It, it's a little easier uh, to enjoy the process when the clothes look better on you, or at least you think they look better on you. Yeah, I mean, it's the best accessory for for clothing. How do you? How do you? <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, LA gets hot though. How do you? Do you just fucking suffer through with the with the gear and just like the all black? You just power through. You know, Rick makes flip flops. That's true. I- I have them. Yeah, you have the, he's like, I got the Birkenstocks on right now. It's my house shoe. <laughs> I do. I do have a pair of those. Um, I, I don't. I don't really mind the weather. I, 
I grew up always wearing lots of clothing, jackets. So suffering is not something that is new to me or bothers me anymore. So you're um, you're you're a year round jacket guy. Kind of, yeah. I love it. I love it. I mean, ja- jackets are the are probably the best piece of clothing. I would say, like as far as like what I'm going to get most excited about. Oh, definitely. That's all you need. Um, you uh, I, I get excited about shorts. That's all. We've, I mean, <laughs> Jason, he's not giving you the full story. He's very tall, so pants are hard for him. Oh, uh, how tall are you? Six nine. Wow. It's fine. I mean, I'll I hate it in this world. I hate that it has to impact your wardrobe, but I do think that you've made you've embraced shorts and kind of made it your look. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fun to have a little challenge, get out of your comfort what, zone. Wes, what's your workout kit looking like though? What's my what's a kit? Like your gear? Like what's the? All, is it all black dry fit? Are we wearing old hardcore shirts and Patagonias? Like what are we wearing? Um, I wear uh, right now. I'm wearing. Uh, the the Rick. Champion. Oh no! I don't. I'm not trying to. I'm not doing an outfit check. I'm saying when you work out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm telling you. Oh, 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 yeah, oh! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Damn. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm falling. <laughs> <laughs> Try and keep up, Chris. It's like this every day, baby. <laughs> um, I like some of the Rick Champion. Yeah, I like those shorts. They're, they're kind of short, right? They're short, they're mesh, they're see-through. I had I got takeout the other day and forgot that they were see-through and I wasn't wearing anything else. And it was just like, I'm just gonna do it and see what happens, see if this goes okay. It was fine. Um, <laughs> the world so Dick Owens was okay. Yeah, Dick really out here. Um but I usually wear like an old band t-shirt and uh you know, Rick shorts, probably some Rick shoes. <laughs> You know, my hair, my hair is long now, so I have to wear a hat, which is new, new for me. To keep the hair off the face while sweating. So you have yeah. some real Rick dedication to, yeah, to I mean, work out in Rick shoes when, when Nike and, and Hoka and, and all these other, uh, you know, performance fitness shoes exist. Well done. <laughs> Thanks. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I, those were foreign words to me. I don't. I don't know what they are. I know Nike, <laughs> but like, That's pretty cool that you've lived this long and you don't know what Nike is. I'm pretty impressed. <laughs> yeah. That's um, <laughs> real off the grid shit. I'm, I had no idea. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. That's we, it. Had, we had another dad. We had a few dads on the podcast. But are you are you a teacher now during quarantine, or or is your is your son not that age? Uh, my son is four and a half, but he, we weren't going to put him in school anyway. So it's not, again, it's like everything we do is kind of along what's happening now anyway. Like you're we, saying, are you going to, are you going to homeschool or are you just going to, well, it's called unschooling is, is what we do is what we do. Oh, please go further into this. You just don't do anything until they have interest in something basically, you know? In, in, and is this is there like an age on this or no? Um, I mean, there's yeah, it starts. Like it started when he was born, I guess. So, oh, okay, uh, okay, I understand. Uh, so you're so you're saying once he shows interest in something, then you will teach him that thing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm not. There's no like scheduled. Uh, you know, we're not doing. I'm. I'm. I read to him. 
we play music. He's he's been to Russia three times, Europe five times, <laughs> China twice. Um, what kind of know. music is he into? Is he feeling what you're putting down? Yeah, it's a mix between. Um, he likes the Ramones, Billy, like, like like more like cartoony sort of music, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Billy Idol, Ramones, some some movie soundtracks, you know. Really thought you were going to say Eilish there, but yeah. Yeah, I, um, <laughs> yeah, same. Uh, me too. She was actually unschooled. She's she's one of the uh, really? people we found out about. Yeah. So, Where did you? I've never heard of. I've never heard of this. Actually, is this like a pretty popular thing? It's not pretty popular, but it's it's not obscure either. I, I, maybe it is obscure. You know, does it's it, like there's a there's there's a lot of sort of religious angles to it, which we don't fall under. Um, specific religious angles or just religious in general, like as a, as a blanket. I think people who don't want their children in schools that might secular them. Yeah. That might, you know, go, you know, challenge anything that they're being taught at home or whatever. So I see. Okay. But that's they might, they uh, might learn about evolution in the school. Exactly. exactly. Something problematic like that. We we can't have that. So like, (laughs) uh, basically, I mean, basically our thing is, is, is more, it's a little simpler. It's just that neither Amy or I cared for school, nor do we think that we learned anything in school really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's a, she was a philosophy major from UCLA. I'm a college dropout. I never did one thing in school ever in my life. And I feel like she feels similar. Um, and, you know, should he show interest and want to pursue something of course, we will facilitate that. But otherwise, I, I just California is one of the few states where you don't have to go to school and you don't have to have a formal like homeschool mm-hmm. program either. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I forget about the legal implications. Uh, I think it's is there California, is there, um, New York, and Kansas? I think are the three states. That, is there is yeah. there an average age when when the interest showing becomes facilitated? Like you know, obviously he could have an interest in fire trucks at age three, but you're not gonna put him through firefighter school, but like at, at a certain age when, you know, he's developed a, an interest in something that is actually pursuable. Like what, what age do you think that is? It's, it just depends. I mean, who, yeah. who knows, you know, I mean, he'll, right. he'll bring, he'll, he'll come to me and say, how do I spell this? Mm-hmm. And I'll show him and we move on to something else, you know? Great. So what do you think about the um, I mean, I, I, I sort of agree with you on 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 school. I didn't really learn much of anything and and never really had an interest in it. But I, as I've gotten older, I found that like the social aspect of it, of of interacting with other people who are like you and not like you and, you know, being hurt and hurting people and learning things was more of the important part. What do you, how do you plan on, on navigating the social side of things? Um, I feel it's overrated. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> Socializing is overrated. I, okay. I, fair enough. <laughs> I feel it's overrated. I mean, you know, it's, is not someone that is going to be locked away. Yeah. Um, I feel like my social interactions in school didn't shape me. Um, I feel like mm-hmm. there are other ways to sort of have those experiences without having to be um, told what to do for six to eight hours a day by someone probably not smarter than you. That's you know? true. 
Um, That's true. And, and it, it's always there. It's always an option. Mm-hmm. For, you know, I don't know. I think it's overrated. I think socializing is overrated. I'm, I'm here for I, it. Love, I love socializing, but I still think it could be overrated. Well, I think in a, in a forced situation, you know, I mean, I think I learned, I mean, for sure. I mean, I dropped out of high school and I, all I cared about was my f- older friends that I met through hardcore for sure. That was like my entire life. I didn't, I don't think I had many social experiences in school that were important. My, yeah, I don't either. Like I, I played sports. I didn't try. I played soccer rather. I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't like, I had a, totally terrible disinterested attitude and as a result of that they would put me in gifted classes for not caring and then i would never do homework i never studied for a test i just felt these things sort of i was only interested in music and i somehow passed and did fine without ever applying myself into those you know mm-hmm. worlds that i haven't regretted not learning then today you know so i don't know I, I, hope, I think everyone has hope for their child. They want them to have a spectacular life. I'm sure there's a part of that where we want him to enjoy uh, his moments in time here without having to succumb to, I don't know, I guess as a blanket term, bureaucracy, you know, until it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Was this um, a decision? Was this a decision you guys made before he was born? I think it was, yeah, for sure. We were, we were mostly interested in that approach. You know, he, he sleeps in our bed with us still. He has a room. We don't really use it. He just goes on tour with us, hangs out, friends with our friends. He has, he has other children he talks to. Um, you know, I think being based here, there are a lot of children who aren't also in full-time school because their parents travel a lot or whatever. And yeah. um, I don't know. I, I hope for something better for him than, than the misery that I feel I had in school. Mm-hmm. You know? I get it. Well, it's very exciting and I'm sure, um, you know, I'm sure it's going to be a thing that increases and becomes a lot more popular soon. Yes. Yeah, strangely, strangely, it seems it wasn't a bad choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, was about yeah, to I guess say, living but... living your um, unique independent lifestyle ended up kind of being a great investment into your future in our current um, quarantine pandemic life. Yeah. So like, well done. Now that all these, now that all these idiots are doing it, you're, <laughs> you're, yeah, you got, yeah. What what's next? <laughs> your apocalyptical <laughs> output on life has served you well. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, thank you so much for joining us. It was great to chat with you. Um, oh, my, my pleasure. I didn't, I didn't, I had no idea that either of you were, um, of, of the ilk of hardcore or anything like that at all. I didn't know that. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, um, yeah, I mean, part of it was, I mean, I've, I've obviously listened to music for years and I mean, I have the American nightmare demo tape somewhere, but, um, oh, okay. the, the um yeah we'll both think, fight you right now bro yeah i'll get i'll prove to you i don't give a fuck I don't, uh, but I, I don't i don't believe you but <laughs> <laughs> but the um but the uh I, I when i followed you on instagram and started seeing you doing the amas um which i think are really cool and i think that the, the, your audience really likes it but I, I i that was like all right let me get in touch and see if we'll come on the show because i just think there's a lot to talk about well i appreciate it i hope it wasn't 
a huge disappointment like everything else that's going on right now. no 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 this is this is a bright spot in the day and also thank you for putting me on to choir boy really fucking with that record oh yeah great bands great band. great record i really like that record a lot um yeah. and um well tell people where they can find you on on the internet you can find me a few different places um some comms would be wesley isold cold cave american nightmare all um whatever you know it's just google it i don't know yeah there we go that's my favorite answer um and if you see anything on grailed from cold caves don't lowball <laughs> it's offensive really <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks again wes we'll talk to you okay. soon bro thank you take care later